0: Welcome to Deep Focus, a radio show about movies in New Haven. I'm your host, Tom Breen. For the first segment of today's show, we'll be talking all about I Am Shakespeare, a new documentary from New Haven filmmaker Stephen Dest that tells the story of Henry Green, a young man from New Hallville struggling to reconcile the many different sides of himself in a city painfully divided by class, race, education, and violence. We'll be joining the studio by Fan and Henry to talk about the story behind this film, the power of committing so much of yourself to a work of art, and the prospect of better understanding yourself and your city through movies. For the second segment of the show, I'll be joined by Inner City News editor and WNHH host Babs rawls ivy and New Haven Independent reporter Markeisha Ricks for a review of Moonlight, Barry Jenkins' breakthrough second feature that tells three chapters in the life of a young gay black man growing up in Miami who's desperately trying to figure out how to balance the man he presents as, the man he's expected to be, and the man he truly is. But first, I'm very happy to welcome to the studio Stephen Dest and Henry Green. Stephen is the founder and director of the drama department at the Neighborhood Music School on Audubon Street, and a noted filmmaker who's been on the show once before to talk about his 2013 feature film, My Brother Jack, among other projects. And Henry Green is a lifelong New Havener, and we were coming up with titles beforehand, but I'm going to say actor and social activist as well. Um, And Stephen is the director of the new documentary, About. Henry called. I am Shakespeare. The Henry Green story. Stephen and Henry, welcome to the show. It's Such a pleasure to have you here.
1: Great, Mm -hmm. excellent.
0: Okay, so uh, Stephen, I'm going to start with you as the director. We had you on about a year ago uh, to talk about this movie and also some of your other projects. And so I wonder if. Well, first of all, listeners can go to deepfocusradio.com and check out episode 15 to get a bit more background on your career as a filmmaker. But for those who haven't listened to that episode, who may not be familiar with this story, can you reintroduce myself and, and listeners to this movie? What, what is it about and, and how did you come to this story? Uh,
1: yeah, great. Uh, so I Am Shakespeare is a feature-length documentary that chronicles the life of my man sitting right next to me, Henry Green. Um, so, during Henry's high school years, which wasn't that long ago, just a couple of years ago, he was a uh, aspiring and very successful actor at Cooperative High School here in New Haven and doing other theatrical endeavors at that time. And that's how I knew Henry. And Henry had recently worked on a production of Romeo and Juliet, playing the role of Tybalt. And... I had learned shortly after that performance that he was shot uh, in his neighborhood, right, actually right outside his house in Newhallville. And at that time, I was I was working on my brother Jack, and I sort of I took that news article and I I put it aside, and I said, you know, I got to reach out to Henry. I've I've known Henry since he was a a little kid, and I, you know, I know his family, and you know, at that time, no one knew if he was going to survive. The shooting and recover so you know there was a strong possibility that maybe i'd never get a chance to actually talk to henry again but fortunately as as most people already know and when you watch the film you'll you'll soon learn of an amazing recovery um, that turned his life around and and the many different identities that he was living unbeknownst to many people and maybe even some of them himself as uh, what we discovered during the interviews for the documentary so I am Shakespeare chronicles henry 's multi personalities and in, in life his ups and downs and up until today and his, the work he 's doing now to um, to hope to better the community and, and and the world at large
0: so when when we had you on the show around this time last year, it really is just about a year ago that you were on and you 'd spoken about how I think right before the kind of thanksgiving break in two thousand fifteen you sat down in a room with Henry after weeks of talking with him about this project and kind of preparing for the interviews. And you had just spent, I think it was four days, and you had said you had done something like 10 or 12 hour days in which you were interviewing him about this story. And, and the last we spoke, you had kind of just committed the actual narrative to uh, to film or to digital video i wonder could you give uh, me and the listeners an update just on what has happened in the past year what what's happened after so you shot it about a year ago um what uh what happened over the last 12 months
1: so correct we we did the it almost to the day exactly um oddly enough which is very unusual in film uh, whether it's a documentary or or not um the 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 turnaround on this project uh, moved really quick, and that's uh, a testament to the crew, the, the whole team around around me, to be able to get this um this film out there. And we feel it's important to get it out as soon as possible, you know, without obviously um, hurting the film's artistic merit. So it, it worked out well on all ends. So exactly right. This around this time last year, we wrapped up the interviews with Henry, and then we went into. Post production, picking up B-roll around the community. Uh, I hired an illustrator to do some illustration work for me. So, I mean, all the all the usual things that kind of go into the making of a, of the film. I think the bulk of the time over the last year for me was spent uh, creating the script. You know, uh, people always ask, like, especially for me being predominantly a, a narrative fiction writer, like, what's the difference between that and, and documentaries? And you know, heading into a a narrative feature film, like say, like my brother, Jack, you, know, you spend, you spend a long time writing the script and then you, you bring it to life. And then with a documentary, it's the opposite. <laughs> you sort of bring everything to life and then you write the script. If, if that makes any sense. And hopefully it does. So most of the time I spent uh, rifling through all the footage and uh, you know, hours and hours of interview stuff. And as you'll see with the film, if, you, if you're, if if you know Henry at all, you know what a gift he has for storytelling and, and such a, a pure, truthfulness to him that everything he everything he's, he said was so good but you know you, you have to end of the day you have to make it entertaining and you have to make it a length that people will actually respond to and, and not go beyond that so that's where most of the the time this year was spent it was really word for word pulling out the best the best interview possible and, and hopefully I hopefully we did that
0: so, Henry, it's such a treat for me to be able to talk to not just the filmmaker, but also the subject of the film. It's pretty pretty rare that we get to talk to both in the same room. And I wonder hearing uh, Stephen talk about that kind of backwards process of, of making a, a documentary film, in that, unlike with a feature where you start with a story and you kind of know exactly mm-hmm. what it is you have to commit to camera, and then you go about doing it, here you've got everything committed to camera, and then to a certain extent, you have to go back and... Okay, how do I edit this into a compelling kind of tight hour and a half or an hour and 20 minute story? And so I wonder just as the subject of this movie, my first question for you is just after having watched it or whatever cuts you have watched, uh, what what do you think? I mean, what what surprised you? Did anything about your own story look or sound different to you coming reflected back at you from your own words?
2: That's... <laughs> What's funny is that um this is probably the strangest experience I've ever had. And I've had a lot of strange experiences, you know. <laughs> he did get shot after all. Yeah, you know. <laughs> but um anyone who can attest to the feeling of uh hearing their voice recorded, you know, you're on radio, so I'm I'm sure at some point in time you heard your recorded voice for the first time. And the first thing that you say when you see anything about yourself, a picture about yourself is, Wow, that's weird. I sound like that. And for me it was it was not just, you know, my voice or seeing myself but a reflection of all of my thoughts. I mean, during that recording process, um, and I describe it to people, it was like it was like unguided therapy. You know, they would ask um, you know, Finn is great at pulling out some of the the, the deeper secrets and some of the deeper thoughts that I have within myself. And um all that came out raw, you know, three days just spilling out myself for hours and hours. And I had no idea what the film was gonna look like because i had said so much myself I, I really left my entire identity things that i didn't know about myself came out during those three days things i didn't know that i thought about myself came out and um when i finally actually watched the film let me just say that i was so afraid to watch the film for uh <clears throat> sorry for um maybe a, f- a few weeks finn was like hey did you watch it and i was like no you know every time i was gonna watch it, i'm
1: busy i'm busy yeah kept you know saying.
2: like i'm busy uh, I kind of I kind of didn't want to see myself because I was afraid of what I was going to see, I think.
0: That's so interesting to hear because you, as far as I understand, this is the first time we've met, but from what I've read, you have really, and you've been quite a public figure and public mm-hmm. speaker about your experiences growing up in Hallville and getting oh, yeah. shot and, and recovering from that uh, in in truly incredible fashion. But for someone who has kind of carved out and really had to come to terms with the story itself, mm-hmm. I wonder, was there something particularly daunting about seeing it kind of immortalized in a movie were you thinking like "Uh oh, i can never change this now that it's done or (laughs) or was it something else about the the editing i mean when you're when you're speaking you can kind of edit yourself right you can think okay i want to put this part in but i'm going to leave this out for next time here you're kind of you're trusting someone you're close with but someone else with your Mm. story and i wonder how that how, how was it to trust something so intimate with someone who is not you
2: um it was a, a very scary process because as finn will tell you initially i said no i didn't want to i didn't want to do the film because it's it's so easy for someone to misconstrue even even basic qualities about you you know if anyone's ever heard a rumor about them and you hear it and it's like what that's not true but anyone you know you you ask 10 people to describe one person you're going to get 10 different perceptions 10 different personalities um and except this this isn't just 10 people that'll be watching me this is you know I don't know how many people are going to see this film, so that's
1: six. There's actually just six people <laughs> that we're targeting with this film.
2: So you know, uh, all these different people are going to see the deepest parts of myself. In uh, it's it's really up to Finn's eyes to tell them, in a sense, who I am, what I think. Um, it's it's a very scary process, and I don't, you know, the the almost lifelong friendship that I had with Finn was probably the the single most important factor in me trusting him you know because he, he didn't know me since i was a little kid you know he's he's seen all of the awkward growing up moments that i've had you know what i'm saying he's he's seen me going through the strange puberty change you know finding out who i am so it wasn't as difficult to trust um finn with it um personally but it was it was scary to be able to to, to tell someone okay i'm gonna give you permission to explain to the world who I am within an hour and a half. To explain, you know, 20, 25 years worth of experiences in an hour and a half.
0: So this movie is is divided into a few chapters. It's kind of the structure of it, and each is kind of oriented around a different identity of yours. We have hmm. the I am Henry. We have I am Jack. I am Renegade, and I am mm-hmm. Stanley Galbraith. This is a particularly <laughs> amusing one for for those who who watch the movie will get that. But one of the kind of key you revelations for me, and I wonder if this was a turning point for you in watching it, is in the I am Renegade sequence, which is when you're talking about Renegade, who is the kind of hardened insular street mm. figure identity of yours. Um, during that sequence, when you're talking about the actual altercation in which you get shot and you look in the eyes of the person attacking you and you say simply, you see a mirror, you see mm. yourself reflected in the eyes of this person who you should describe you also... Describe as, you know, completely blacked out. Like, you can't really see much of anything of him because of the way that he is kind of hidden in his his clothing. But in his eyes, you say you see a mirror. Um, And that's, at least for me, that was the kind of turning point of the movie where you go from someone kind of building up to this know it's just kind of tension tension building up to this altercation where it's just the realization of all of the kind of violence and disparity that is evident in in the streets and for so many young people in new haven that is part of their day-to-day lives building up to this moment and then after that it's about you kind of using that that shooting to save your life right how the bullet saved your life and how how can one survive this and then actually go on to help other people and i wonder if and clearly that moment is, I'm sure it's something that you've thought about a lot in the mm-hmm. years after 2010, but seeing a mirror in the eyes of your shooter, was that something that, when did that revelation kind of hit you and, and what did you think about that part of this, of the movie?
2: Um, The revelation of how important it was that I, I saw the shooter in that moment.
0: Yeah. And also just how you saw yourself in mm. the shooter. I mean, see, I can't imagine that, you know, the minute that it happened, you thought, oh, there I am or. Or maybe you did.
2: No, no, it took a good while actually. Uh actually that moment I would say kind of shocked me because I wasn't supposed to feel any sympathy in that moment. You know, that that's unnatural. Either you you feel anger or you feel fear in that moment, and sympathy is a very odd emotion. Um it took you know what I'm saying? I mean I had a lot of time in the hospital to sit and think. I couldn't do anything else, I couldn't talk. Um it took a lot of thinking during that time. Um actually, I actually I really think that the moment is hitting me, I don't think it's I don't think it's done hitting me if that make sense even when i watched the film and i heard uh my descriptions of the, of the renegade chapter i said to myself oh man henry you sound <laughs> you sound terrible you sound like a terrible guy i sound like the people who everyone is afraid of and I, I was i'm more able to see that mirror after watching the film i'm more able to see the the making of how I became that person and how similar i am um to the shooter you know um i i think that you know the I think a lot of people are gonna enjoy the film and it's it's gonna be great for them, but I think it's in an odd way gonna help me more than anyone else because I was able to Finn was able to hold up a mirror to me so I'm able to really see myself as a whole and I see how similar I am to the shooter I see the the accumulation of experiences that has has created this that has created this person um and it's the same for him it's the same for the shooter and it's this movie has done better for me than than all the therapy sessions that I ever had since the shooting.
0: Then you took a very kind of bold approach as a filmmaker in resting the entirety of the kind of responsibility of the story on Henry. Now, on, on the one hand, it makes a lot of sense because it's his story. Who better to communicate that than him? But this movie, um, and the first uh, kind of parallel that came to mind were some of the movies of Errol Morris, like The Fog of War or Gates of Heaven, where we kind of we are so focused on one particular individual's unique perspective and in this movie we we get a, such a tight close up on Henry's face for about an hour and 20 minutes it's it's relentless it's intimate but we just we have that face in front of us talk about a mirror in someone's eyes we get to look into Henry's eyes as he tells us his story for much longer than I think people are usually comfortable looking in anyone's eyes and so I wonder uh as you you know decided to um Take that approach to tell this story. H- how did you think about kind of communicating Henry's story in a visually compelling way, in a narratively compelling way, but all the while focusing so consistently and intently on Henry's face and Henry's voice?
1: I think what was helpful for me at the at the uh, pre production stage and deciding what camera angles to use and and how close to get to him was I. Like, Having worked with Henry on stage as a stage actor, directing him in, in stage productions, I I had a real good sense of his his passion and his sincerity and his delivery. Now, keep in mind, this is all with dialogue written by other writers, not his own story. So there was a risk being taken knowing that this was going to be an account of his own life and... You know, trying to figure out how far I can push him to get as much information as possible. Now, you know, the thing you always have to keep in mind is, yeah, you're talking about an hour and a half, but it was 60 hours of 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 that footage. Um, and n- nobody wants to see that. Even Henry doesn't want to see that. Uh, <laughs> but but I needed to do that in order to get that that amount of material and that that length of storytelling. And get the accuracy and the arc to it you know the chapters came much later and i think that's why i'm you know i'm describing it this way the the structure of the film you know i, re- I remember a day we, henry and i were sitting outside coffee and we did the list we did the classic documentary list well so who should we interview and you know it was you know Preacher, police officer, mom, dad, brothers, sisters—you know, milkman, you know—who, who, whoever actually—you know—has spent two seconds or more with Henry, and that was a long, long list. And as I started to sort of break that down, like, okay, what do I want to get from this person? What do I want to get from that person? I, I realized that I fe- I felt at that time, and, and once again, yeah, I, I, I do feel it was—you know—it was a chance I was willing to take. Uh, not knowing whether it was going to work out or not, but certainly confident enough that it would, and confident enough with with henry 's abilities to do it this way i I realized that those those questions that I would have asked all those people wouldn 't give me what I needed um, to tell this story accurately. I, I needed Henry to tell it and and then, once I got together with Dave Brown, my d p and we started working on camera angles we we realized that with with Henry and he i mean listen it, it it wasn't intentional i mean you know henry is just extremely photogenic and and handsome oh, and really thanks, <laughs> oh you're welcome you know i mean he he draws you in um and that's not a lot of times with documentaries that the subject matter doesn't have that um, but I, we did so we took advantage of it i should say
0: that the even though the focus of the movie is very much on henry telling henry's story we do get a kind of variation on two different shots there's Henry straight on looking at the camera and then occasionally you pull back to kind of three- quarter profile but it gives us a bit more distance and honestly I almost gasped every time the camera pulled back to give a different profile because it was like watching two different characters it was like hearing from two different people because of the different because the different perspective you have on just someone's face it's almost like a different emotion is revealed or a different um, you know thought is communicated through the way that a certain faces just another right. and I remember last year when you came by and we're talking about shooting this film and you talked about the four days and ten hour days and you said that one of the challenges and maybe this is one of the strong points of having Henry as the central character as well is that you kind of felt like you got different Henry's and different days um, and that one of the challenges of being a filmmaker is trying to take All of those, not just the different footage, but the different Henrys and creating kind of one continuous, coherent thing. And that works, of course, so well with one of the main themes of the movie, which is the kind of fragmentation of people's identities, right? How we're always juggling all these different people inside of ourselves. And I wonder, did did you see that in the editing and also in the final product? Did you see a bunch of, you know, did you see four different Henrys
1: on the screen there? Or is this one person telling one story? Depends on what time of the day I'm watching it, but I, I think yes, I think ultimately you're you're seeing all those things. You're seeing the the different personalities coming through this one remarkable person. There's um there's another thing we did too. I don't know if you caught it, depending on where you watched it, Tom. But the um the lighting, we split the lighting. Uh, so half of Henry's face is is much lighter than the other half, um, and. You know, we as a team, with, with 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 Dave and Mike, you know, when we set up the the shot, you know, that that became a really important aspect of because you're dealing with just one person, right? You know, and we're so used to multiple, you know, multiple characters in a story, whether it's a documentary or or anything else. So uh, having some changes and some angle changes and some lighting changes became so. From a technical standpoint, these things became invaluable. As far as the emotional stuff, yeah, I you know, Henry did tell. A lot, of this, a lot of his stories more than once. Um, but this is a documentary, and you, and you don't want to, like, I don't want to coach him as an actor. I don't want to give him direction the way I would a, a fictional character. But what often would happen was Henry and I would, during breaks, we'd, we did the interview in a, in a room in the library over at a Creative Arts Workshop. And we would just, wa- on a break, we would wander out into the hallway and out into the art gallery. And, and Henry and I would just sort of talk, kind of talk the way Henry and I just talk since I've known him, you know, just talk about life and kind of talk about people we maybe, you know, used to work with or know from back in, you know, back in the day or whatever, just having small talk. But I would, I would kind of pepper those small talks with, with a bit of direction, if you will, and I'm hesitant to use that word, where I would just say, you know, when we come back in, let's, let's revisit that story, but maybe from a softer perspective or maybe a harder perspective, depending on what I felt was needed. Um, but still be honest and truthful. And and that's how it that's worked out really well.
0: Henry, this movie is called um, I Am Shakespeare. Not I Am Henry, not I Am Renegade, mm. not I Am Stanley Galbraith. Um, and you speak of, I mean, you and Fenn have talked about how you... Um, are an actor, and you've performed as as Tybalt in Romeo and Juliet. Um, but also, so much of this movie, you are talking about uh, the in both in kind of every aspect of your life how important performance is. Especially that I mean, the scene that jumps out most to me is when you are involved in uh, kind of a group beating of a guy in which you are so keenly aware of everyone watching you of everyone you know paying attention to you of how that attention is so invigorating and what the line that sticks most with me is how you said everything is happening so quickly and you want to make sure that you don't miss out on what's happening and i wonder as you think about one both the title your kind of relationship with the various um, kind of theatrical characters that you've performed and the role that like performance and attention has played in understanding the story do you um i don't yeah maybe maybe just uh riff on a for a second Mm -hmm. or so on that like how how important is this element of attention and you processing your own story and the art that you help create
2: oh um attention for me um was it was it was like a, a monster that could not get enough it was always hungry for more Um, And it was something that I could not, I didn't know at the time. I didn't know how attention hungry I was. You know what's funny? I I didn't know that. I didn't know how big attention and and control played a part in my life until I watched the film. Um, Until I watched the film, then I noticed how important attention and and control was, which is is interesting because I think that I was, the very thing that made me a great actor, like I, I could, I was able to command any crowd. Any place I went to, I could walk in and I could command a crowd any place I want didn't matter if I had a microphone or not um the very thing that made me successful at doing that was was the the same beast that was driving my negative behaviors in New Haven you know um which is funny because now I'm I'm very (laughs) I don't want to say anti-attention but kind of like I'm you know you gotta ask Finn it's hard to find me on social media or anywhere so (laughs) you know now I'm uh, I'm very much behind the scenes and I, I I think part of that is because uh I fear how much attention played a role in creating a negative renegade, you know what I'm saying? Um so now it's kind of like I've I've unplugged from that big machine that you know that attention needing machine. Um so I maybe in a way it's like detox, attention detox. Yeah,
0: well I think that one thing I really got from your movie and thinking about it in the subsequent days is that attention really forces you to focus on mm. being a particular person right like when yes. you're on stage and everyone's looking at you expecting you to play tie then you are tie when mm. everyone's looking at you on the street you know beating up the sky then all of a sudden you are like a gang banger like right you know right now i think mm. everyone I, I feel the attention to be the radio host mm-hmm. so this is a particular <laughs> part of my identity and i think that again for a movie so and for a person so interested in you know understanding all the different facets of your identity and how they don't always like Interact harmoniously. I feel like attention, as intoxicating it is as it is, sometimes it forces you into being oh, one yeah. that you just can't escape from at that moment. The
2: audience, <laughs> no matter where you are in life, the audience makes you. The audience makes you who you are. You know, you're only uh, Tibble because the audience believes you are Tibble and cheers you on to be Tibble. You know, what I'm saying you're only a king on stage. With the audience cheers you on as a king. You know, then you you feel like a king and like like you said you you, you like refeed into that. You know, um, and it's. It's sad to realize how much power the mob has over us, you know, how much power a group of people have over us that they can create our identity based upon what they encourage you to be. It's that can be. And now I understand how powerful of a force that can be in a, in a positive light, you know, um, understanding how how much attention formed me. You know, if we can harness that knowledge and use it to our advantage, man, we can we can help to create some some really good people.
0: And I think that's really one of the triumphs of the movie and of I mean if as much as your life is this movie, it's one of the most inspiring elements of your life, taking, you know, all of the negative elements of, you know, the peer pressure to become someone and kind of channeling that into something. I think mm-hmm. you say the exact same thing, how you wish you could talk with the person who shot you so mm-hmm. that you could help channel that kid's energy into something productive. I do want to make sure that we talk a bit about new Haven and how this is a new Haven movie, because again, this is very focused on Henry, but it's also very focused on, you know, a, a an all too common kind of, uh, um, childhood and kind of upbringing in, uh, this city. And, Henry, you do such a phenomenal job of creating a mental map for an audience as they're watching. Like when, you, especially when you describe the shooting, I feel like I was at that you know intersection of like Munson and I don't know if you're at Winchester, or Dixwell, but you know considering how small this neighborhood is, and again, you open the movie by talking about how one block is controlled by one gang, one is another. Then you have Yale. It's like the smallness of it is sometimes easy to forget. Mm. Um, but you really describe so well what it's like to walk in this neighborhood of the city. And so I wonder, just uh, my question for you on this is, as you watch this movie, um, how much of this is a movie about Henry? and How much of this is about the city of New Haven?
2: You know what? Um, After watching the movie, I think my name is expendable. I think you could replace Henry um, with most people that grew up in New Haven and they'll describe the same thing. They'll have the same experiences. And this is, part of the reason why I can't wait for people in New Haven to watch. And I'm sure that people beyond New Haven will be able to relate to the same experiences, but it's such a common story, such common, um, disadvantages, such common challenges. Uh, the only thing that, that is, is uncommon is perhaps, you know, the ending or how I react to the shooting. But it's, it's such a common story that I think anyone from New Haven has known a Henry or is a Henry or is related to a Henry, you know, um, I don't know. I, th- I think it's, it's my name is expendable. I, 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 it's my story, yes, but it's also the story of New Haven. I think it's greatly the story of New Haven because um it explains that sharp contrast that everyone experienced in New Haven, you know. In New Haven, you're either, you know, you're, you're high end, you know, saying Yale University, or you're doing well for yourself, or you are on the extreme other side, you know what I'm saying? You're you're, you're growing up on, um you know, Whaley Avenue, which is right down the street from, you know, the tower, like, you know, the Hogwarts tower, and it's, <laughs> it looks like hogwarts but um definitely and i think
0: you're also i mean as much as you're describing kind of economic and like political realities you're also describing like two very distinct psychological realities when you mm. talk about yale kids you said we we thought they were smiling and happy all the time right mm. they would just hop about in their happy privileged lives and that was something that we not just envy, but we really resented in them, right? Mm-hmm. Flaunting that happiness at a time. How can you, you know, be so happy over here coming down from Prospect Hill or mm-hmm. something while I have so little down here? And unfortunately, we're running very low on time, and I want to give Fen the last word as the director, as someone who took, you know, Henry, if you're saying, Henry, you can swap out Henry from the story, then I'm afraid I'm going to end with Fen <laughs> instead <laughs> of it. No, I'm just kidding. That was a great insight. Um, but uh, Fen, how much, uh, again, how much of this story is unique to Henry, and then after putting this together, I know you're a filmmaker very interested in capturing the different sides of New Haven, the artistic community with my brother Jack, I know David Sebovita told me you're working on another movie that may capture a different part of New Haven's identity, but uh, for, for I Am Shakespeare, what do you see in New Haven in this story?
1: Well, I, I mean, I can echo what Henry just said in, in many ways, and, and obviously I'm going to defend or at least question Henry's <laughs> desire to remove himself from this story I, I, it's very much uh it's but i know exactly what he means and I, and that is the goal uh, you know during the um during the interview process of of making the film i used to always say to henry wisconsin and of course henry would always look at me like well, what's wisconsin I mean, you know the state you know I'm like why why do you keep saying wisconsin and what i meant by that was this this story needs to play in madison wisconsin it needs to play around the world because this story is is not just about new Haven and it's not just about America, and I think time is everything right, and I think we're we're recognizing our how fragile we are, how sensitive we are, and how emotionally unbalanced as a culture we really are to the differences um that makes us Shakespeare and all the multifacets about our personalities as as human beings. As we all struggle to figure out our identities, because we know we know that these students that Henry's referring to at Yale are they're, they're not always happy, they're not always smiling. Um, they have their struggles, and and I know Henry knows that too. But we polarize things so often, and the media does it, and we do it to ourselves just to get us through the day. Well, if I had that then I'd be fine. Or if I didn't have that, you know, good thing I do have this. And all these different things and at the end of the day, we don't have anything. We just have our souls and our heart and our hopefully our our compassion for one another. And that's the that's the goal of this film and that's I think that's what the film does and it's because Henry has all those things. It was I can't make this film without Henry, but yes, the story can be told um to everyone including people who are not Henry Green.
0: Well, I'm also very grateful that we now as a city have I Am Shakespeare to help us think about the this type of uh, kind of all too common tension and uh, all too rare uh, kind of overcoming of these problems. So Stephen Das, the director of I Am Shakespeare, Henry Green, the star and kind of figure at the center of it all. Thank you so much for coming by and for talking about it. Um, and we will make sure to post links on where people can catch up with the movie uh, when it comes out and uh, where people can find out more about what you two do. But thanks again for coming on the show. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Tom. All right, coming up next, another movie about identity in America, Moonlight. But first, uh, let's hear a little bit of music from Chesky and Allison Jackson, and then we'll be right back with Babs, Rolls, Ivy, and Marquisha Ricks.
2: of new haven again baby face crack corner kids working graveyard shifts with the dino waitresses everybody trying to break bread i'm every lung that's breathing in this filthy city waste i'm trip turning street walk I'm full of grace undocumented worker wait slave a needle pierced vein i am black rose a grandmother's grave we'll find the way the old man said in hey hey they told us faith in god will take the pain In this place, we're only half away Waiting to be served, slapping corn cake by inmates Love me city till I'm grey Elm City, love me safe. Love me city till
3: I'm grey
2: Love me till I am erased
0: Welcome back to Deep Focus, a radio show about movies in New Haven. I'm your host, Tom Breen. And now I'm very happy to welcome to the show Babs, Rawls, Ivy, and Markisha Ricks to help hey. review Moonlight. Babs and Markeesha, thanks so much for coming on the show. Hello. Yeah. Okay, I will speed through this uh, this introduction. During the first chapter of Barry Jenkins' coming-of-age drama Moonlight, a small boy nicknamed Little, played by Alex Hibbert, learns how to swim. He's fled the home of a loving but narcissistic mother and found unlikely refuge with the drug dealer who enables his mom's addiction. So the dealer is gentle with Little. He wades into the ocean water with him, leaning him back into the waves as if conducting a a baptism. And the two are softened by this blue twilight, a rare moment of peace and connection in lives weighed down by violence and self-deception. And then in the final chapter of the movie, when Little's grown up into the hardened Atlanta drug dealer nicknamed Black, played by Trevante Rhodes, an intimate childhood friend asks him point blank, Who are you? Who is this man who is gentle, sensitive, and quiet, but also a gang leader and a drug runner? How can one man embody such conflicting personalities? So, Babs, as you watched this movie broken out into its three chapters, did you feel like you saw three wildly different people full of contradictions, or did this complicated man make sense to you at the end, and did you feel like you could answer Kevin's question of of who is this guy?
4: Uh, yeah. I mean, I followed. I got it. Right. Because we're all complex people with a story and a story that unfolds at every stage of our lives. Um, So I I like that we got to see him from a little kid and all that angst from a little kid to a teenager and all that bullying and beating up. And then a grown man still full of angst and and macho, but still, you know, conflicted. And always
0: so like acutely sensitive to his surroundings, right? He doesn't say a lot at any stage in his life, but he is always so aware of everyone and everything around him. And I think that's something that Barry Jenkins does really well as a filmmaker. Like I, this was one of the more like sensory experiences in the movie theater for me. I felt like I my hand was in the sand, right? I had the ocean breeze yeah. in my face, yeah. Or like I could smell, you know, I could feel the water. And Marquisha, when I saw this movie a couple months ago at the Toronto Film Festival, and the first thing that that came to mind was this idea of like double consciousness that wb du bois talks about but i think all kind of minorities have to deal with in america this conflict between who you present as and then who you're expected to be and then who you actually feel yourself to be and i wondered maybe that's triple consciousness
3: but <laughs> 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 i think about um, so so much of the movie is him or are people telling him who he is he never ident- self-identifies as being homosexual right right people tell him consistently that he's gay but he and he's grappling with well people are telling me this am i this but then he doesn't have room to question it With and, and the one time he has an opportunity to ask about well what does that mean you know he he's somebody's explaining it to him but it's almost in the context well, you're they, nobody ever asked him well do you think you're gay
0: and remember, all uh, he says, I think the only question he asks around that is, am I a faggot? Yes. It's not even am I gay. Right? What does that mean? And that is only a word used to hurt, right? It, he's talking right. about am absolutely, I. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely.
3: And so it isn't until he gets to this grown stage where he, he only has one, or as far as we know, he only has one sexual encounter with another um, another young man and doesn't have, or, or he says he's never been touched that way again as an adult. And it isn't until that same man comes back into his life to ask him who he thinks he, like, who are you? That he actually gets to speak about, you know, these things that have happened. So he's just now getting to a point. So he's had like all this repression around who he is and who he had to become to kind of this performance of black masculinity, which I find I just found fascinating. I mean, this movie was amazing.
0: And it's you know, I think it's really amazing what this movie manages to communicate both about performance of black masculinity but also the roles of black women in his life and i'm so interested talking to two african-american women here i the most kind of compelling characters for me outside of the kind of little black chiron were the mom played by naomi harris who undergoes a complete kind of physical and psychological transformation over the course of the movie and then janelle monet who plays Teresa, who is his kind of surrogate mom right who is the woman who takes him a woman with much more privileged, with much more money and comfort, but who takes kind of pity and understanding on this kid who is otherwise feeling kind of completely at odds with everything else in, in his world. And I wonder, I'll you know, go back to Babs, what did you think of the two moms in this movie? The, well, the biological know, mom and the stepmom? Well,
4: you know what? Black women are, can only be two things in the movies. We can only be <laughs> whores or Madonnas. <laughs> Right. That's all we ever get to be. We never get to be nuanced. We never get to sort of blur the lines between good and bad. It's either we're either really good or we're really, really bad. And so that's that really was the spectrum for me. I was like, he had the really, really good mm-hmm. mother who was cleaned up and nice. And then the really, really bad mother who, you know, was just a drug addict and a and a hooker and all these other things. And for things. me,
3: that that probably was the <laughs> one place where I was disappointed about the movie actually yeah so like and the, and the portrayal <laughs> of the drug addicted mother that right. is the Just classic, classic drug addicted mother girl. And you know when I think about the white suburban drug addicted mother, she's a completely different person, right? And she she's still going to PTA meetings, and people think she has a drug problem, but they don't know for sure. Like you, like even as a drug addicted, like she's in the projects. Like it's it's, it's, not, it's classic. It is the classic stereotypical and you drug see her addicted working, mom, and then you
4: see the, the, the her downfall, and it's always at the hand of some man, right? Because that's because that's what it was, right? And so I yeah. hold on
0: a second. I thought, wait, am I the he only one who's going to be? Am I the one who's going to be? I thought Naomi Harris's both character and performance oh, was she incredible. She did an amazing job,
3: but, but here, you saw that same character in Jungle. Like, was it Jungle Fever? Jungle Fever. <laughs> like, we can go back we, to Losing Isaiah. Losing like, Isaiah. She's basically wait, hold on, the new Hold Halle on, let's,
0: let's go back. Let's go back to the opening, the the first chapter of this movie, with Little. When Little is, you know, he's a, maybe eight or nine years old, and this is when his mom is maybe the the most high functioning that mm-hmm. she ever is as a drug. She's clearly she's she's, she's an addict, but. She's she's also working a job and she's pretty put together and she's going out at night um, but she on almost every scene that she appears in she always there's always a pull towards that motherly kind of empathy and sympathy and pushing him towards all right you know tv privileges are revoked go find a book to read you know come snuggle in i'm on your mom i'm your mom i'm on the couch i'm back from work i'm so happy to see you i've been worried about you and then this other part of her identity, just like you know, Chiron's identities are pulling him like in all these disparate places. That's making it so painful for for him to exist. I feel like the <laughs> mom. I feel like the mom
3: has the exact woman. same thing. You're right. She's an amazing actress. That doesn't. change So <laughs> you don't see that it in her, the character though. And those things about the character, those are nuances, but they're not the nuances we're talking about. They're 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 still the classic portrayal. Like there's. There, there just for me wasn't that like it would have they could have subverted that character in particular ways mm. I, I think that was an attempt what you described was an attempt what we're saying is that maybe it wasn't successful yeah.
4: <laughs> i think even with janelle her. monet we I mean, don't she's, you know
3: we've she's seen these women kind of the while she has a kind of strength and presence about her and even a moral compass if you will she, she's still kind of the atypical um girlfriend of a drug dealer a successful drug <laughs> dealer so she has a house and you know and they have some kind of moral code exactly some kind of family situation right? like that's a, isn't that american gangster <laughs> like we've, we're we saying we've seen that before.
0: but the moral code is completely undermined by the presence of this kid right i, I think maybe in that relationship between janelle monae and i'm gonna butcher his name but mara ali the guy mm-hmm. who plays juan um, who is the kind of fatherly figure that adopts him, teaches him how to swim, yeah, he's teaches a, him about... He's a
4: drug dealer with a heart. Exactly. He's a heart,
0: but also I, think, I feel like where a lot of these, you know, drug dealer with a heart stereotypes end up is either something completely brutal or they're unworthy redemption. Like, oh yeah, this is actually a great guy despite what he's doing. Here, we just get humiliation for him. And I feel like that humiliation when Little says, you know... My mom's addicted to drugs. Do you he sell drugs? drugs? And then we just see him fold. Like that's the that's the last scene we see with that character. And I feel like that's what makes this movie's representation of what otherwise could be stereotypes completely different. Because he's saying the consequences. It's not just some movie style bloodbath. It's like you've really let let down yourself and these people that you're telling yourself you're you're helping.
3: And I think I think you're right in that regard. And that that also happens when the mother confronts him about the drugs as well. Like she's you know out smoking with her boyfriend of the moment in a car near the drug spot, essentially where you buy your drugs. Mm -hmm. And she basically humiliates him in the street. uh, And he doesn't have the, uh, like the stereotypical reaction. He could have abused her somewhere or or anything. Exactly. So, but I think that's where the movie gets the character of men, right. Mm -hmm. And, and makes it complex and makes you dig deeper about what you think about these roles. And I, I think that this particular director has the bandwidth in w- whatever next thing he does is to get the women right.
4: Yeah.
0: Ba- I'm, I'm afraid it's already, tw- it's almost our, our end point, but I want to I want to point, I <laughs> want Babs, I want to give Babs the final <laughs> word because when we were speaking about this briefly at um, Bethlehem E the other night, you said the scene that hit you the hardest is when Chiron hits a guy in the back with a chair. Oh my gosh. And I want, when he, you know, the camera's following him into the school, He's just pumped up with rage and humiliation and he picks up a chair in the science classroom and he breaks it over the back of the bully. Uh, as our you know final word on this movie, and maybe as yeah, well, have thinking we
3: about oh, talk about the Kevin character <laughs> and Kevin so- as well. Um,
0: Everyone needs a Kevin. But could you? Why did that scene? Why did that scene work for you?
4: Because you know what? It's it's really the story of oppression. You cannot oppress somebody forever and not expect them to rise up. And so that was his moment to rise up, even with all the consequences that came along with hitting that kid with the chair. And then that's the takedown of the bully. And that's the David and Goliath story, right? That's the, that's it. Like there's this bully, you take the bully out and that's your own and that's your own redemption story too because that frees you. Once you beat the bully up, it frees you to sort of move on even
3: though and choose are your are identities. consequences. Exactly. But, you know, so. Yeah, the Kevin character is a fascinating character. And, yeah, we talked about and, this. Oh, that, yeah, like I, I we need a, like a part two of this yeah. show to talk about but the Markees Kevin she character. But made a
4: good point because she's, you said the Kevin character,
3: he didn't grow up to be like. Exactly, even though he, he was straddling these two identities as well, but he found a way to be a part of the in crowd and his, his sexuality was very fluid and he didn't seem to get labeled for that in any way. And he grew up to be very healthy in, in certain respects uh, and to still um, just be in, in Chiron's opposite in terms of how he responded to his life, yeah. which I think is interesting.
0: You know, it's the last we. Last had you on, Babs to talk about 13, David DuVernay's documentary about the Which prison industrial like com- complex and mass incarceration. And I feel like this movie could act as a kind of complement to that in what it doesn't show and what Kevin and Shiron um, have in common. They have a lot of things in common, but they also, they both go to prison. We both don't see it when they go to prison and they both come out completely different people mm-hmm. after prison. Kevin seems to have like put Adjusted. his life together. <laughs> he's, he's got a job, he has a kid um, and he has kind of renounced whatever kind of life that he had as you he- but he hasn't
3: renounced necessarily it seems that part of or at least we can infer that part of his identity that maybe is leaning toward a, a male uh sexual identity a homosexual identity so i thought that was interesting
0: mm-hmm. do we have to part yes sure. okay know, thank I you so i know well moonlight i think we can all say check this out well please. This all is, the
3: thumbs up i'm actually i think i'm gonna go see it again yeah, yeah. I
0: it's the second time last night and and it stands up um well, Markeisha Ricks, New Haven Independent Reporter, Babs Rolls-Ivy. Uh, do you know who's on your show tomorrow?
4: I'm actually uh, running a conversation I had with uh, uh, Jenna Matune, the Kenyan um, film director for her film, Leo. So that was screened at Yale uh, a couple of weeks ago. So I have her. All
0: movies up. all the time. Yes. So yeah. check that out. At, <laughs> that's at 10 o'clock yes. tomorrow. 10 o'clock WNHH. Tomorrow. We'll have you two back on. Can't wait. All right. Thank uh catch Deep Focus next week. Um, coming up next is Elisa's Culture Cocktail. Uh, you can find a complete archive of deep focus shows at deepfocusradio.com. That was actually
4: a great-